Welcome back to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined as always by Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. 2015 Grand Slam season is over. The Grand Slam is over also. How you feeling? How you doing? How is this U.S. Open for you? I'm in a slightly catatonic state. Yeah, it's going to take a little while to kind of digest what, uh, what the heck happened uh, here in New York for the last couple of weeks. Um, obviously with a, a surprise winner on the women's side in Flavia Panetta and a not-so-surprise winner on the men's side in Novak Djokovic. And so, yeah, lots to kind of figure out and tease out. So hopefully this will be part of that therapeutic process. Let's just dive right in. Let's do it. The 2015 U.S. Open belonged to one person, Serena Williams. She was on the cover of the program. First time they've had like a single player on the cover in over 30 years or something ridiculous like that. This was her show. And it stayed her show all the way through the semifinals when she lost <laughs> in three sets. I'm trying to keep a straight, fa- straight face here, you guys, to Roberta Vinci. What a ridiculous sentence that is to utter, to put like on the record here. I know, I've, I know that it happened, but it still, it still feels surreal. It feels surreal, and it's not at all. I mean, it, obviously, it's going to seem as though it's a big slight to Roberta Vinci, but when Roberta Vinci herself is saying that she didn't believe that this was going to happen or that she had the capability of pulling off a win like this, I think that it's pretty fair to discuss how big of an upset and how massive of an upset it was in the semifinals with Roberta Vinci beating Serena in three. And uh, One of the biggest of all time, many say. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I haven't really dove into whether or not I buy into that. No. I definitely think it's one of the biggest um, upsets in in in, mod- in definitely modern tennis history. I was reading a, a write-up from Frank DeFord for Sports Illustrated about the year Helena Sukova beat Martina Navratilova at the Australian Open to end her yeah. Grand Slam bid. But it sounds like this is way different well, than that. No one had ever had the hype of Serena. Yeah. I mean, being an American, playing in America for this thing in the modern climate of social media and all the different brands that were capitalizing on her run, all the different media outlets that wanted a piece of her, everything. This was the biggest moment tennis has had. I think Serena going for the slam in in my tennis consciousness. Yeah, no, I mean, you definitely felt it, you know, at least here in the States. I don't know if it translated anywhere else outside of the States, but being here during the entire U.S. Open series and all the lead up, and it was basically Serena tracker, right? Like, yeah. oh, she pulled out of Stanford. Oh, okay, she lost to Benchich, but doesn't matter, up in Toronto. And business as usual, she wins Cincinnati in pretty dominant fashion. And, you know, in a lot of ways, you just kind of, it felt like it was just going to happen. And I remember the morning of um, Serena versus Vinci, the morning of the semifinals, walking to my desk in the press room and walking behind, I want to say they were either New York reporters or Wire reporters, but they're definitely based here. I could tell by the accent, the very yeah. New Yorky accent. But one of them, I just caught the tail end of, of his conversation. And he was saying, look, I know that there's no short bet in sports, but, and it was very clearly in reference to this, the, the upcoming Williams-Vinci match. And yeah. I think we all kind of, uh, if you follow women's tennis, you kind of definitely gave Flavia Panetta a chance to beat Simona Halep in the semifinals. Oh, sure. That was no surprise whatsoever to anybody shock. who wants. Yeah, it's disappointing, obviously, for Halep once again, which we can discuss later. You like know how she got beat. Exactly, but uh, but for the most part, you know, Flavia Panetta winning that match and being a finalist, 
surprising maybe but not really because I think when we first opened up that draw and we saw that bottom half we all kind of said you know it could be anybody it just really depends on who plays well but then you had the Serena and Vinci side and Vinci obviously coming out of that completely busted quarter that was vacated by Maria Sharapova early lost by Anna Ivanovic Eugenie Bouchard's withdrawal etc etc so I was like okay Vinci's obviously a surprise semifinalist, but we see the path that she paved to get there. It's doable. Yeah. You know, it's not and when shocking. She, and when she beat Mladenovic in the quarter, too, it was like, good for you, Roberta Vinci. Yeah. You made a semi. Like, this is a little overachieving for your singles career, but you're a nice lady. Okay. Yeah, exactly. You play fun tennis. I mean, it. you know, you nearly double-bageled Bouchard a week before. You nearly beat uh, Caroline Wozniacki a week before in New Haven. Like, sure. Okay, former top 11 player <laughs> knocking on the door of the yeah. top 10, you know? Five, sing- five double slams, crap. yeah. I mean, hadn't won a set off Serena, and obviously that's not even an issue, really, the head-to-head. Just their game styles. You just really felt that... Serena had this completely under control that she was going to eat up Vinci's second serve all day, that she was going to be able to blast, you know, winners off of off of soft balls. And man, it it was really a shocking thing. And I rewatched the semifinal during the rain delay yeah. um, that they had on ESPN during the men's final. They replayed Serena Vinci, and I still remain shocked. I mean, I think semifinals that what I expected from this match is what we saw from two previous semifinals between Serena and Irani. Just went Irani, yeah. who's Vinci's doubles partner. They're both short little Italian girls who like clay courts. It was easy to equate them for me. Irani got blasted off the court in fashion. No, it never happened to a top player before. What was that like 40, 40 something the minutes? The French Open one was, yeah, 40 something minutes, 0 and 1, and the US Open was like 0 and 2 or something, and similarly, sub Rome, comfortably I mean, sub hour yeah. times. Yeah, I mean, that's what I expected from this match. And as much as you want to, you know, say hashtag sports and be like, oh my God, this is crazy. <laughs> At this some is beyond. <laughs> with, with some time under under the belt, it makes somewhat more sense. I mean, obviously now it's I've accepted it as reality. I'm no longer in denial about this thing that happened. <laughs> Serena, as Martina Navratilova said in an article by Chris Clary, Serena lost to the Grand Slam. Yeah. And I think that having... And that's the fair reading of it, I think. Yeah. And that's taking little away from Vinci. Like, she played an incredible Vinci, match. Vinci played as well, pretty much as well as she could have. She wasn't like treeing and doing ridiculous things and yeah. drop shots and slices, but she played totally within herself. Played an incredibly smart match. Serena got so tight. Serena just, I think that's, and Mortago said the same thing, that she seemed fine on Thursday when they were all practicing warming up and having that extra, like, night to think about things Mm. didn't help. And I'm willing to bet, although no one asked her because her press conference was so short, (laughs) I'm willing to bet that having Halep go out right before didn't necessarily help things either because then she knew all she had to do was beat these two Sub top twenty Italian veteran slash journey women, maybe you could say Def for Vinci, I think it's a fair descriptor, probably on the single side. Uh Panetta's obviously a good player, but not someone you'd expect to beat Serena. I mean Serena remember beat her because of Espresso earlier this year. It's not gonna be the hardest <laughs> thing in the world. Um and yeah, and she got out there and just looked so tight. You could see it all over her all over her face. At what point when you were watching that match did you think Holy shit, this is happening. At 40 love and yeah. at 5 4 in the Yeah, third. exactly. I mean, like, at 5 yeah. 4 triple match point, I was like, oh my God, this actually might be happening yeah. at triple match point. I mean, maybe 30 love, but yeah, but pretty much it was that late because Serena's pulled out of so many escapes, and that's the thing that's we've defined, seen it so many times. defined her slam run. I mean, this, how many sets did she lose in the, in the 27 matches? Something like 12? Yeah. Something like that. I mean, like, that's, it was nothing like what Steffi Graf did. In 88, and it was nothing like what Martina even did in 84, and where they were just rolling through people. 
Serena was not rolling. She was fighting and digging, and I guess she finally just ran out of lives. And it makes sense. I mean, in a lot of ways, I, I think Brian Graham for The Guardian wrote an article about how actually this isn't a shock, which I think uh, on its face is, 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 yeah, it's it's a little contrarian there. But one of the points that he was making was this is actually an entirely logical result. That in the course of if you've seen what Serena has done, what she has done in the past leading up to New York and leading up to that Vinci match has been illogical. You can't come from the, you're not supposed to be able to come from the brink yeah. that many times and pull this off. That is not natural. That is not um, reasonable. Like, you know, like to expect her then one more time to come from the brink again uh, with so much pressure and, and the incredible just, you know, hurricane surrounding her for yeah. the last, you know, really couple of months, honestly, since Wimbledon, if not before, that is illogical, that that is unfair. And I think that there, that's a fair reading in that in that small box. No. Uh, it's still a shock, but but that it's almost like Serena became human again. And that's okay because she is incredibly human and she's shown her human frailty week in and week out this entire season. So, you know, yeah, it's a shock. At the same time, this is exactly why everyone was a little bit nervous for her coming into New York was not because of the draw necessarily, although obviously playing Venus and Madison, that match against Bethany was kind of crazy. Yeah, Bethany was when she was first up against the ropes and that, yeah, and that would have felt like in some ways, a more understandable thing. I yeah. think if you told us before the draw came out, Serena's going to lose to Roberta Vinci in New York. We'd be like, <laughs> okay, she'll get super, super tight in like a second or third round match and she'll lose to Vinci. Not in the semis. Not in the semis. Never in the semis. No. Yeah. No, it's, Because it's why true. would Vinci be in the semis? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it's totally right. Yeah. And, and we saw Serena do that. And I think that it does speak to how amazing what Serena did is. There's going to be a lot of comparisons now that Djokovic won three slams. Also, uh, who had the better year or who who's more impressive year? And I think by far it's Serena. At the majors, yeah, I yeah, would because, say Serena. And also because the Djokovic, when he lost to Vavrinka at the second slam, it released all the pressure for the last two. Serena's was only mounting and mounting and mounting as she went along. Uh, winning three slams, doing it in the order she did is, is and, much, much tougher. And also, as you brought up, I think, uh, last night when we were having dinner, I mean, the amount... Serena was doing it with the entire kind of... Not entire, but the the mass, the vast majority of the tennis community rooting for her to do this thing, yeah. wanting her to do it. Whereas Novak, I mean, both at Wimbledon and here, in a lot of ways, he was the underdog. He was not that people expected Roger to win, but the expect the the desire, the wanting that people wanted to see Roger get no. that one one more major was made it a little bit different. To where mentally, it's a lot easier, I think, for Novak Djokovic to go into those matches and and almost feel like well nobody well people expect me to win, but maybe people not a, not everybody in the world wants me to, right. you know, and and that you're able to create a like us against the world sort of mentality. Whereas with Serena, I mean, you know, she said it a gazillion times, and I think that it's absolutely a fair reading you know like when I win matches it's not news when I lose matches it's headline news and I have to play with that pressure every time I step on the court and And that's and she finally kind of froze in front of it and she played an opponent who that day did not give it to her and she also played knowing just like what it would mean for her I mean people talked all about the stakes how it should become 
the best ever, all these things that were lined up for her. And Serena can say whatever she wants in terms of like, I oh, don't need this. And, I don't. And, and also, I don't feel pressure. That's yeah, complete that was baloney. The, yeah, complete sorry. Baloney. Sorry, honey, because you are a human being. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I really love about Serena is that she is incredibly human. Ben knows this. Yeah. I've been railing against this for a while in terms of people trying to people make her into this superhuman Beyonce style uh, everybody loves her everybody roots for her sort of thing she's perfect she's flawless and I'm like no she's flawed that's why I find her so incredibly yeah. compelling and she she was human once again her press conference afterwards upset some people personally not me I wasn't mad <laughs> I thought it was like I thought it was actually like kind of like wonderfully authentic for those of you who haven't seen it yeah. it lasted like three minutes and 40 something seconds much shorter and Serena was just so incredibly over it to put it very mildly and was contentious and uh pissed off i mean on one hand and she should be and she should be and i i on one hand i understand the criticism insofar as this was one of the greatest upsets in not just tennis history but sports history yeah and so you want to hear from you know like the the, there to be a record of of what she said yeah exactly and, and how she felt and how she thought the match went and um what does it mean and and you know press conferences and we talked about this a, a little bit well not on the podcast but because serena was a bit short with not short with reporters that's totally inaccurate but she did kind of stand up for herself after her press conference or during her press conference after venus um where reporters were kind of asking her the same types of questions and she was getting very fresh about venus and getting very frustrated and that's understandable um and so i saw a lot of things on social media of people being like press conferences are redundant there's pointless players shouldn't have to do them if she wants to blow it off she can She if she wants to blow it off she absolutely can we've seen venus do it But what press conferences do allow for the player, and I do hope that players understand this, is that if you put on record what you think or what or something that does, generally speaking, box in what writers and reporters can then say. Which is the problem that Sloane Stevens has run into where she says utterly nothing in press conferences, literally almost nothing. And then she gets upset when people say things that she doesn't right, agree because with. Right, because she doesn't guide them anywhere. Right, you haven't boxed yeah. us into something. Maybe it's the lawyer in me and thinking about what the purpose of depositions are. They box you in so that when you go to trial, yeah. you, a, a person can't say something that they didn't already say or something yeah. like that. or and, and the lawyer can't you know misconstrue what they said. So it's kind of the same thing. It's like with Serena, I think so much of us, well, at least I can speak for myself personally, I struggled to kind of really understand the impact of that loss to Vinci simply because I don't really know. I can speculate, but that's probably not very fair to anybody and it makes me uncomfortable, but I don't really know how Serena feels about it. I don't really know why she thinks she lost that match. You know what I mean? And to be fair to Serena, she probably doesn't even know in that moment. She came in about 20 minutes after last ball. Less, yeah. You know, maybe less than that. So she doesn't really know. She just wanted out of there. And, I mean, my take on it, and I was defending her to a lot of different colleagues, I was like, she has every right to blast out of here, given after what she has done and what she's had to endure uh, from, again, the the hurricane surrounding her. Like, if she didn't want to be a part of it for one more second... That is her right. And like yeah. I said like in the, pre, um, the pre-tournament podcast, I was like, if I was Serena, I'd be fucking over it. Like, I would have lost in the second round. I would not have been able to deal with it at all because I'm a weak human being. <laughs> and so, like, if Serena wants to bail, she has every right to bail. Like, I'm like, again, 
that's the human. That's the rational thing to do. Um, but it, it, but it, on the flip side, it's frustrating because you just don't know. Yeah, I know you don't know. But I mean, all the hurricane stuff aside, I mean, I do think some of it was, I think if Serena wants to look back, some of it, she could have done some things differently mm-hmm. in terms of she went hard in the pre-US Open week in terms of sponsorship stuff. She did everything. More or less. Did she do more she than normal? Re- no, but she. it seemed like she definitely didn't do less than normal with all she the She didn't do less than normal, but I she don't did, think she, she did She did more. the karaoke, she did Taze of Tennis, she did Nike, she did some cocktail party on Friday night, which seemed unnecessary. I mean, she just kept herself in the light, and she kept doing a fair number of interviews. She was on three magazine covers, she did a big sports center interview with Robin Roberts. She did a lot of stuff, and, and I know also that she had already done promotional filming things for after she won there was stuff ready to roll yeah. that she participated in that was gonna be like here's my slam win post oh, the beats commercial see the Gatorade after Gatorade ad that was gonna run after all this I, I know, mean right? I presume there is one Nike yeah. I'm sure yeah. had an entire campaign I mean I, it's so hard though to like criticize her for that no, not, no, cri- not, not criticize but her. you're right she didn't do any less but at the same time like you know, going back to my initial point, I mean, this has really Serena's march towards the Grand Slam and going into New York. It, it really captured the imagination of the American public, a public that, generally speaking, doesn't care about tennis and um, doesn't even really care about, you know, Serena outside of like four times a year, you no. know, maybe. And that is their fault. That's not her fault. You know, that's why like towards the end of the the men's final, I kind of sent this all caps tweet saying there is more tennis. Like all the you people who are saying like, tennis is amazing like i'm like where are you where are you the rest of the the rest of the time where are you at four o'clock in the morning when you know serena is playing some fourth round match in beijing i don't see you there and i wish you were because you're right it is amazing and i wish more people would acknowledge it and i hope people i hope the vinci loss doesn't take the sheen off of what serena's oh, done God, I, I, don't, I don't i don't think it will i hope yeah. it doesn't i hope people have the attention span to realize that serena is still incredible this was still a great moment for her to be in the sun completely uh, for two weeks, she held the you know the public's imagination, and when she lost eventually, it was like nonstop Sports Center on the loss for like a solid two Tennis hours. Tennis got its play. Tennis got its play, and Serena got her play, and hopefully that lasts, and people can appreciate her beyond. Hopefully, people don't forget about her. She's not like some you know horse that won Kentucky in Preakness <laughs> and rides off into the sunset get put out to stud. But te- but sports is so funny because golf.com sent a, a tweet that just bugged the crap out of me after Serena lost. That was a side-by-side of her and Jordan Spieth. And the tweet said, rough year for grand for the Grand Slam. I'm like, are you effing kidding me? The fact that we were even talking about it means it was a great year grand for the Slam's Grand Slam. Grand Slam's never had a better year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it really hasn't. So, but, you know, sports, I don't know. People look for narratives and people, I just, I, that one was a particularly exasperating moment. Speaking of Jordan Spieth, <laughs> for some reason I saw a lot I was on my Uber over here to the hotel. I had to wake up to do this episode of NCR, you guys. You have no idea how rare this was. I know, it's weird. This is Monday morning. Jordan Spieth, there was a quote by Larry David about him where he said um, that uh, Jordan Spieth is balding rapidly. That makes him much more appealing to me, which I appreciated. And then I looked at Jordan, Jordan Spieth with tagged in the tweet, and I said, I clicked on his name, and he only has like 600,000 Twitter followers, Jordan Spieth. He's not he's exactly no, he's someone. No, no, he ain't Serena, that's for sure. And he's no. also not somebody he's who barely even a people are like, like, Oh, Jordan Spieth did an interview. I'd really like to watch that. Like, yeah. that's that's not really a Spiethian thing, whereas Serena, it's like, I wonder what she said in, you know, this situation. Um, let's just finish up Serena, talk a little bit more about Venus Serena, mm. which happened. Uh, that was the quarterfinal last match Serena won. 
and I think he definitely could have taken a lot out of her, for sure. That match had all sorts of hype. That was really, really hyped more than any other part of this. Definitely more than the semis. Yeah. And it was weird, as always, kind of. I was in the stadium, and it was dead quiet. Yeah, the stadium vibe was was weird. I mean, I, I was not in the stadium because I was live blogging it from the press center. And um, so I kind of was a little bit detached from what was the ambiance, I guess, on court. Um, but I thought the quality was good, good. Uh, aside from Venus, uh, Serena's complete dip in the second set. But, um, I thought Venus played a great match. I mean, that was just one of those where I'm like, man, I really wish you were on the other side of the draw. Yeah. You know, this could have been a final. It very easily could have. I wish you got to play Vinci in the quarters and take her out. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, you know, I mean, it's so many different ways that that draw breaks out and, and the, inter- the entire tournament changes. But, um, as we say in every tournament, really. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, talk more about the, the ambiance and, and why you thought it was weird. It was just quiet. Literally, this turn, this stadium gets so much noise always, and especially now with the partial roof, it echoed more, even more yeah, noise. There's a lot in. of white noise, and on there that were just times support. when Serena won points, especially like maybe like a Venus first ball error or something, and there was just no reaction. It was noticeably felt like a funeral. It was weird. It yeah, just the, the whole uh, thing was uncomfortable. I do think that the, that another factor that goes into that, aside from the fact that it's you know Venus and Serena is that they really didn't have any rallies. I mean, rallies yeah. are what get the crowd kind of excited, get the blood pumping, get you on the edge of your seat. And when all the rallies are three shots or less, and for the most part ending on errors, errors whether forced or unforced, but they're ending on errors, it's a tough thing to kind of get into. Um, and, uh, you know, regardless of the players on the court, that's just kind of, you know, yeah. we see that in, I don't know, Kvitova matches. Yeah. Or, you know, like when you're not rallying, it's really hard to get into it, which is why in a lot of ways, I mean, when you look at like a Caroline Wozniacki, you understand why people kind of like like her because they go and they see what they think is tennis. Yeah. You know, like they're like, oh, there's rallying, there's running, there's defense. Um, and when you have like the big power hitters, it, it can get harder to get into the match. Totally. Totally agree. So that was Venus Serena. Uh, they played. It was nice. Um, and it was just a huge spectacle. I mean, like, the number of, like, celebrities that came out for that. I was just wondering on Saturday, as mm-hmm. they showed, like, Dwayne Wade in the stands I know, for Panetta Dwayne Vinci. Wade watched Panetta Vinci, you guys. <laughs> um, like, who, all the people who would have been there might have been incredible. Um, let's go to Panetta Vinci, though. And let's give any other thoughts on Serena's run. No. Beth- Bethany played well. I mean, the Diachenko thing was a mess. Um, Madison wasn't terrible. Madison wasn't terrible, but that was... And that was Serena's best match, was against yeah. Madison. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the other one was Burton's. She came out nervous against Burton's. Like, that's the match where if she had lost it, you'd be like, okay, yeah. I get it, the pressure. If that had been Vinci's second round where Burton's was, totally would have gotten it. Anyway, Vinci won a semifinal against Serena. Instead, made a final against Flavia Panetta. And Flavia Panetta is your 2015 U.S. Open champion. Which, we were talking about this before, I guess after. Panetta winning, like... Okay, I think it's a little bit of an exaggerated lifetime achievement award for her to win a slam. I mean, she'd made the quarters here what, like six of the last six of the seven, last seven years she, she played. Yeah. So getting a title at the end of that run, like that seems not ridiculous. If you keep putting yourself in the deep stages, one semi in there too, already won Indian Wells. Like you can look at it and be like, okay, this is somewhat plausible. If Roberta Vinci had won this tournament, <laughs> Mamma Mia! Good lord, like what? That so anyway, the whole final felt surreal and going into it I was just so down that day I was just like oh this feels so useless like oh what is this Sierra came out and did that weirdly sad America the Beautiful everybody kept doing all week or whatever song it was and 
yeah, it was just like like a funeral. And then they came out, and it was sort of lovely and it quaint was really and nice. charming and nice. It was nice. It was nice. And yeah. um, I was a little bit. I was. I had a different take than Ben. To me, like I was like, this is the biggest moment of these two women's lives. Oh, like, I was, was going to be like, excited to watch it. Yeah, like but... I. But I was like amped up for it. Like I was like, this is kind of incredible. And there's actually Vinci could totally win. And holy crap! And yeah. you know that sort of stuff. So there was. I felt a little bit more tension and excitement going into it. But yeah, I mean, it was a throwback match you know and I think that that's something that that um a lot of commentators and pundits have kind of uh cited obviously we're, we're used to seeing power tennis dominate uh regardless of the makeup of the top five which for a long time kind of included ha- was pretty much half and half power players and counter puncher grinder defense players um but we are used to seeing power tennis on the final Saturday or Sunday and this wasn't that even though obviously Panetta can hit a hit a good ball yeah. um this was craftiness this was I think at some point I, it was uh, either Pam Shriver or Chris Everett was like they could be playing with wooden rackets yeah. you know I mean it would be and and they were saying that in like a positive way like this is craft this is guile this is wit on a tennis court and um you know and so it was it was fun in that way you could tell how nervous Flavia Panetta was you could tell how tired uh Roberta Vinci was so it wasn't like the as b- a good a match as it could have been because it really could have been a good match uh with both their game styles but in the end Flavia Panetta held it together played a pretty fine second set wins it in straight sets oldest first time winner in an, in the open era mm-hmm. uh she's only two months younger than Serena I didn't know that um, but yeah, it rides off into the sunset, kinda, er, record scratch, confusion. Did Flavia Panetta retire? Is this her last match? Apparently no one thought to ask this except for Eurosport. Um, but yeah, Flavia Panetta decides that this is going to be her last U.S. Open. Um, her last slam. Her last slam. And, uh, last year. Uh, 5% opening. That yeah. It might not be <laughs> she her last year. She a 5% opening when people were like, what about oh, the Olympics? What about the Olympics? She was like, well, you know, so yeah. we'll see. I hope. I hope I kind of hope that she keeps her. I would love to see her be like, you know what? This was actually it. I don't. I do to, too. I don't need to go to Wuhan. I agree. And Beijing. I, I asked mean, her point blank. Yeah. Uh, I talked to her yesterday on Sunday um, as she was doing her top of the rock photo shoot. Um, and I, I think the last question I did ask her was like, why keep playing? Why, why not just let this be the end? You know, it's kind of nice. Um, and she said she just she likes the China Open, so she's gonna play. I would suspect that possibly being able to qualify for Singapore, that's a lot of money, yeah. um, is is on the table as well. And then also on top of all that, just an opportunity to see all her friends again. I mean, no. if she goes and does that China trip in Wuhan and Beijing, she gets, if you know, kind of... If she open, she kind of ghosts out of here. Yeah, exactly. no one else is around when you... No one was at here. At the end of the tournament, for exactly. <laughs> And Fabio Panini. Yeah. So, um, so at least if she does the Asia swing, she gets kind of to at least see her friends and... and yeah. um you know, uh, Mini farewell tour. yeah, a little bit. Um, and she gets to do it kind of outside of the glare in a lot of ways. You know, I think she kept saying like, I didn't want to think that everything was going to be my last match. I didn't want to announce like, this is my last match and therefore it will be my last match. It was so she'll kind of slowly ride off into the sunset, but the sunset has not yet arrived on uh, Flavia okay. Panetta's career. Well, it's a pretty good career. It's about 3 PM. Pretty good career. Entirely happy for her. Like I said, it's not the most uh, plausible Grand Slam, but she played a good tournament. Like, she got, she beat two top five players to reach yep. the final, Kvitova and Halep. So it's hard to look at her run and say, you scramble the order of the opponents, it looks totally reasonable. Yeah, because no, Because she, be, sure. she beat Stoser too. She, she beat Tchaikovska. Yeah, who, who was playing great. Yeah, she was playing great. Tchaikovska won, won the first set, like, 6-1, easy. Yeah, so, I mean, she played, Tchaikovska beat Wozniacki, we haven't mentioned any of the matches this tournament, but, yeah, um, all in all, yay for Flavia. 
Um, it was pretty cool how Italy was so into it. Like, the Prime Minister flew over with Fabio Fanini. They were on the same plane. It's, you know, in his jorts. <laughs> in his jorts. His jorts were amazing. Fabio Fanini was literally, like, eating his fingernails. Like, yeah. just going to town He's introverted. Them. He gets nervous. He can't even dress for the public. That's how nervous and introverted he is. Do you want to switch to the men? Let's go talk about the men. Fabio Fanini did actually have a pretty good US Open himself. He beat uh, Rafael Nadal in a crazy... That was not uh, so. That was like maybe the best, most, I think most it was entertaining the most match entertaining match of the tournament, match yeah, of the tournament for so. sure. For sure. Fanini was down two sets in a break. And Nadal came back. First time Nadal has ever lost from two sets up in 150 plus something matches. I forget the number now because it was a while ago. Uh, Nadal was out early and Murray lost somewhat thereafter to Kevin Anderson paving the way for a Federer Djokovic final which we got after both of them had very comprehensive runs really especially Federer yeah Federer just dismantled Vavrinka in the semis um didn't drop a set barely was losing serve played really well against John Isner and who was actually maybe like the dark horse of this tournament who I think could have made semis out of either of the other quarters yeah. uh maybe could have beaten Djokovic who's always matched up well against Djokovic yeah. uh, Isner played great didn't a tie break for eight sets but anyway all this brought us to Djokovic Federer again in a Grand Slam final uh third time in four two years with both Wimbledon's and here and Djokovic won and Djokovic won I mean it's uh again yeah, I mean, it, it's it's Novak Djokovic at his best, you know? I mean, he defends so well, he counterpunches so well, he just gets so many balls back on Roger that, that Roger just can't uh, handle that after a while. He gets the balls back, not just defensively, and they land, like, you know, eight feet inside the court, but they're landing within two feet inside the court. I mean, it's the, the subtlety with which um, Novak Djokovic plays his tennis. I mean, you just, I think to the casual observer, they, they don't really see it. Like, why they just think, oh, he's so good at defending. And it's like, it's not just that he gets the ball back. It gets it back in a very awkward situation and in an awkward uh, a ball. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think that the two takeaways really from, from the final were that Novak was incredibly mentally resilient to deal yeah. with that crowd, which was really shocking, I thought, to me. Like, it was... It was it was that's exactly what I it expected. was Indian Wells yeah I know we talked about this before but it was like it that their final in Indian Wells when when Roger uh broke to take that into a third set I think or held again but got it into a third set in that final like that crowd was like the loud one of the loudest crowds I've ever heard I was out there for the I was out there from middle second set on and the crowd when when Roger was threatening to win the second set and eventually did it's just like, <laughs> the cult of Roger Federer is so strange because <laughs> it's like literally just like grown men in their like 40s and 50s losing their absolute minds yeah, for this it's guy. Weird. It's weird. Not weird. Not that it's, it's just, bad, it's just, but it's you just don't just see it in see many it. contexts. Yeah, you don't see it with it's, most other it's people. Like, it, being the crowd that it was, it was like almost like Springsteen-ish or something. <laughs> it was it was something. It was yeah. something to behold. And it was, obviously, we all expected that, that, that Novak would have almost no crowd support. And yeah. it was right. And I also thought... The same thing was kind of true at Wimbledon this year. Federer had all of it, but Wimbledon's a much more reserved thing. Wimbledon going out of its mind is so still different, different than, than, like, New York yeah, going out yeah. of its mind. And I wonder, I mean, Roger didn't, I, I know he said he fed off it afterwards, but, like, he got so tight yeah, on break points. He, he really played the did. break points. And obviously that's a cliche for Federer. Wasn't he something like, four, what was he, four for 20-something? Four for 23, and more <laughs> importantly, he was one for 11 on second serves. Oui. On break point. That's awful. Yeah. And so, and it wasn't that, like, it wasn't what 
Nadal does him where he's just spinning it into, into his backhand and getting ahead. These were like rallies that Federer at many times got control of and couldn't put away. Mid-court forehands. Mid-court forehands, long, exactly. Um, just, uh, yeah, inside-outs flung wide. It, it was it was, it was was so crazy. And Federer was playing so well. Yeah, he was. Like this was, people want to say better than ever. I mean, I, people, well, I think that kind of forget how amazing yeah. <laughs> he was, 05, 6, 7. But he was great. And he totally could have won this slam. Maybe should have won the slam with how well he played against Djokovic in Cincinnati. Uh, night session conditions probably didn't help. It got much cooler on yeah. Sunday than it had been all the rest of the two weeks. All that said, this is a tough one for Roger to lose. Uh, could, it's just had because it. it's one of those, it's like, dude, I mean, yes, okay, obviously you generated 23 break points and you, you, ha- you, you had opportunities there and that is something to be positive about. But... Well, the mind of a champion. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how Roger's brain works. I mean, he seemed relatively, although he acknowledged it was a tough loss, that, you know, that I'm on the right way, I'm I'm improving, yeah, I'm getting better. And it's angry. like, dude, I mean, uh, yeah, you were in there. I wasn't in there. Was I was angry. just reading. Okay. He was angry. Yeah. So at what point do you kind of stop and say, like, I, th- th- I'm not closing the gap? But he, he, is he? he? Of course he is because he, he beat him in Cincinnati. Yeah, so it was quick court. The- but this was also a fairly relatively not uh, that maybe, different maybe court, and he, yeah. and and he maybe maybe he you're won, right. I don't know. Going into the final game, they won the same number of points. They both, even though it's kind of a meaningless stat. Yeah, sometimes. it's a meaningless stat. Serena won like seven more points than, than Vinci, Vinci, maybe more than that. Yeah. yeah, but I'm just saying. So that shows that you know, Serena didn't get blown off the court by Vinci, and neither did Roger yeah, get blown off no, the court by, by Djokovic. It was just these big pressure moments that Roger. And Roger didn't have many of those during the 04, 5, 6, 7, because no one's coming close to him. So he's not, for someone who's won 18 slams, yeah, he's relatively under-battle-tested. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's always something that, that, that does come to mind or with Roger. Slams. And I feel, 17, and I, I do wonder sometimes, you know, obviously we know he can. he's a great fighter. Yeah. Like, he, he can battle and he can get in there. We've seen it time and time again. But... He, I think, has admitted it many times in his press conferences. When I was going through my, like, peak back in the aughts, like, and, and other players say it too. They're like, well, he didn't have to say break points all the time because he never had break points. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, so when you think about the number of battles that he's been in uh, compared to, like, the other guys, it is, I, I mean, percentage-wise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that it's not as high as one might think it would be. No. That mo- For the most part, he kind of cruises, and that's what, the, and he is... We always say that that Roger is like he's a great king. He's a he's not a great he's not as good of a chaser. Yeah. Like he doesn't like the role of being number two. He loves the role of being number one. And he was and, so good at it. Yeah. Whereas and some like aren't. and and Novak is now becoming better as a number one. But back in the day, he was better as a chaser. Rafa better as a chaser. Andy Murray always been chasing. Doesn't know anything better. Doesn't have a choice. Doesn't have a choice. But but they are used to it. They're used to kind of having the carrot and chasing it. Whereas like Roger is very 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 comfortable with just everything being easy. Um, and that's, and because it has been, you know, in the past and, and, um, and that's also, it seems like his personality, like he just, he does seem to love that. Yeah. Um, just even, being better than everybody Even else. like a Serena is probably better as a chaser, but I will say, yeah. um, that for Roger, it's tough because like, I we talk about Flavia Panetta getting like a lifetime achievement award. Roger felt like overdue for a slam yeah. I and mean, he's only won one of um, the last, I want to say. One 20, since Novak hit that forehand. Right, but According even even ESPN. before that, there that's true. But one even further than that it was twenty ten Australia. So one in the last twenty three slams won by Roger. That's not a high ratio. That's 
same as Chilich. That same as Del Potro. Or no, uh, 124 for Del yeah. Potro. But still, like, he, he not deserved, no one deserves anything in sports. I think that's one of the really neatly tied up things about this U.S. Open is that, like, just because you think someone deserves something or is working their way towards it, Serena or Roger don't mean they're going to get it. And they will because be there because sports, and you have to be better on the day, and nothing is handed to you, and, and you it's have to earn it seven times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's like it's not about, you know, this is you know I've said it a gazillion times over the course of this, this the last two weeks, um, and probably before that, but it is the the cruelty and the the mercifulness of this sport is that every week it starts over, and it doesn't really it's matter what you do, right? So it doesn't matter. You come to New York, congratulations, you won Cincinnati, and you completely like dismantled Novak. Great. Now you got to win seven more times. You know, like that doesn't carry over to anything. And that's the cruelty of it. That's also why it's merciful because you can be Flavia Panetta and win two matches since Wimbledon and then start this and lose from Magdalena Rabarakova, yeah. uh, you know, pre, uh, in New Haven in your last match before New York. And two weeks later, you're a Grand Slam champion. You're a slam. You know, like, and, and that's, you know, it, it's a very difficult concept to really wrap your head around and I, I'm fascinated by it by how tennis players do it you know um, but uh, but yeah seven matches you have to prove yourself to in order to win a major and so yeah you don't deserve anything just because you did something cool the few weeks before sounds good should we go into other US Open business let's do that uh, the one thing we haven't really talked about before which was a big story middle of the tournament is Jeannie Bouchard Jeannie Bouchard um, was in that, was doing had an incredible tournament after all of our sort of eye rolling pre tournament in our last episode about her working with Jimmy Connors and it being a very high profile move. Jeannie came out and played the best she has definitely since January, um, maybe even before that. Especially in the final set set against Dominica Sabolkova, that yeah. was that was Wimbledon Jeannie. I mean, she played so well. She reeled together wins over Risk, Herzog, and Sabolkova, playing great. Went out and won women's doubles match with Vesnina and a mixed doubles match with Nick Kyrgios, which was so much fun. She's going to play, I was so excited, Kyrgios and Bouchard were going to play uh, Hingis Pays in the second round. It would have been an amazing collection of egos. <laughs> I was so ready for it. Then, the next day, so that was Friday when she beat Sibokova on Saturday, I believe, uh, she pulls out of the women's and mixed doubles. People are like, oh, she probably just wants to rest for singles. Understandable. Oh, understandable, but kind of sad, because like, I was like, oh, yeah. and she seemed really committed to the double, so it was like, did someone really talk her out of this? And then kind of out of nowhere, it gets an e- we get an email from USTA, press release, saying that Jeannie Bouchard has s- fell in the locker room and hit her head. Suffered a head injury. Suffered a head injury. And was advised by yeah. tournament staff to withdraw from her doubles. Yeah, and then the next day, Jeannie um, cancels a couple practice sessions, shows up looking incredibly pale and just sort of walking like a zombie being guided by one of her handlers and wearing a hoodie and it was pretty hot out that day and dark, big dark sunglasses and she withdraws from the tournament citing a concussion. We don't get many concussions in tennis. This whole story was so strange and it sucks for Jeannie because she'd been playing so well and it seemed like she'd really been beginning her not to be overdramatic, but career back on track after a And she could have been the year. semifinalist very easily. If Serena, I don't think Serena would come out against no, like, against she wouldn't. Bouchard like she did against That's Lynch the thing. Like how much does the semis. concussion? Yeah, she she if Jeannie makes the semis, 
Serena shows up, yeah. and I think she takes care of that match. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure Jeannie would have beaten Vinci because she lost to her one and zero in, in New Haven last week. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. So, what what do we take from Bouchard Gate? I guess or not Bouchard Gate, but like this whole thing. It seems like a mess. Yeah, I mean it's it's incredibly bad luck. I mean, obviously for for Jeannie, um, I found it interesting because I I can't remember who I want to say it was maybe Mark Masters of TSN mm-hmm. who said that Jeannie hadn't spoken to Jimmy Connor since it happened. Which was odd. I mean, obviously Connors wasn't like coaching her. He was like advising her while he, he was in New York. So, I don't know what the the exact details of their kind of working relationship is, but that was pretty surprising. But yeah, I mean, incredibly su- just disappointed for her because it, it was shaping up. She kind of had her swagger back. She totally. She did. was in her press conferences, kind of, and and that old genie, not the woe is me, I feel sorry for myself, um, sad genie, but kind of the genie that. Uh, took the world by storm, you know, back at Wimbledon last year, was there, you know, and, and talking a lot about backing her talent yeah. and things like that. With and a so, touch more humility. Than with a touch more humility, I think that that's, that's definitely fair to say. But it was good to see her back. Like, it's been, okay. it's been, it, you know, she's obviously a very polarizing player, um, but love her, hate her, like, it, this year was tough to watch for her. Watching yeah. somebody, the Ying-Ying Duan match was just awful. No, I mean, I think I think women's tennis is better when Jeannie Bouchard is relevant. Yeah. And that is me saying that she should be top five forever, uh, but I definitely don't think that she should be hovering around, you know, falling out of the top 40. Yeah. I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing because the way that she does play tennis, I mean, you just need, like, quality players that are in there that have the, the, the ability to kind of shake up draws and, and uh, get deep and... You know, not that Jeannie was a proven commodity with respect to that last year. I mean, we talked about her success at the majors, but outside of the majors, it wasn't, she was pretty inconsistent. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, it was kind of what, her second full year on tour or something like that? I mean, come on. Again, like I said, we can't expect these players to arrive fully formed. They need time to kind of incubate and uh, soften out the edges and things like that. So, So hopefully... You know, this isn't too serious. I mean, and uh, hopefully she's able to make Asia, um, and hopefully it doesn't derail. But, but I mean, if you, I mean, just armchair quarterbacking, like if you have a, concu- a, a head injury that's so bad that two days after it occurs, you looked as bad as she did when she showed up on site, that's pretty worrisome, I yeah. think. And, and um, yeah, uh, that said, she tweeted, so... She's really a sad face, right? Yeah, but, you know, she was able to open up the thing and pull up the, um, and identify the emoji keyboard and hit the right, I mean, if she tweeted, like, I don't know, like, <laughs> like a, like a, I'm trying to, like a nose emoji, <laughs> then I'd worry that maybe something was <laughs> a little bit more permanent. She's saying she needs smelling salts? Yeah, yeah I don't no, know. But, but, it'll uh, be interesting to yeah. see if this is resolved, there's litigation or anything involved in this, in this thing. It uh, will, might not have heard the last of this case, because, I mean, yeah. I mean one, the way one, it got, yeah. Yeah, one thing that, that I did hear someone say is is um, what was the more fervent feeding feeding frenzy surrounding Jeannie Bouch- around Jeannie Bouchard last year when she was uh, in search for a management company, and all the agents were like surrounding her and trying to get her to sign with them, or personal injury attorneys <laughs> like this year at the Open because that is classic slip and fall. Yeah, I don't, I'm I'm not gonna yeah I let's just say 
I had many lawyer friends, both in tennis and out of tennis, uh, shooting a lot of emails, being like trying to work this one out to see if there's a cause of action. Oh, it's such a typical like one L. Yeah, it's definitely like a you know basic torts exam uh, question. So it was it was kind of fun to work through theoretically, but I do hope she's okay. Yeah, we definitely do. And also, I mean, she's defending finals final points in Wuhan. That's big. um, Which is pretty much the only thing that's holding that, as well as the Australian Open fourth round or the two uh, quarters, quarters, uh, two point grabs that she. uh, is holding up her ranking. But she so. got fourth round here, so that was nice. That's very true. Yeah, so I mean, nice. if if I don't know what her ranking is, but right now, um, actually, but I'm wondering if she's it's still in line for a seed. Probably. Okay, so she's still well, she's on the bubble for a seed at the Open. Uh, not if she if she Australian right. Open, not if she loses the Wuhan right. points. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so that was Jeannie Bouchard. Uh, one other thing that came up early in the tournament was the Coco Vandeweghe mid match interview, which caused a whole lot of. A pearl clutching, I think, when people saw Pam <laughs> Shriver saunter onto court after Coco Vandaway won the first set against Sloan Stevens. And a result I didn't see coming, by the way. No, nope, yeah. I really thought Sloan would win that match and would be Serena's toughest opposition before the final. Ha! Sports! Sports! Coco <laughs> played great. Should have known that. something was up when that Coco played came incredible out. in that match. She and did. apparently she had agreed before the match to talk, if she won the first set, to have an encore interview with Pam Shriver of ESPN their new initiative that ESPN was pushing in their first open of total ownage, and they were the host broadcaster, which is even further. I mean, they were the ones producing the world feed. And she came out there at this mid-match interview, and what was so interesting about it is a lot of players immediately reacted. Any player who was watching on TV, it seemed like, Laura Robson, a bunch of men's players, Vesnina, whoever, were all like, wow, is this a mid-match interview? This is, it sort of broke a fourth wall or something in tennis yeah. that we don't see very often. What, what do you make of this, this concept and the reaction? Um, I mean, I think that, first of all, it's an initiative between the USTA and ESPN. So I think that a lot of when you're talking about the players' responses being surprised and then the subsequent responses from, like, Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic and also the ATP with respect to how disappoint uh, they felt like, well, I guess how surprised they were that this was a thing that was happening, it's because the ATP and the WTA were not roped into it. Yeah, which the ATP um, was which upset is very, about, yes, especially. Yes, which is very key. So when people, what frustrated me a little bit, um, as I am a WTA employee, um, all uh, disclosures out there. But uh, what frustrated me a little bit when it first started happening was everybody's like, oh, this is the WTA trying to do like this, like another on-court coaching type thing at the slams and it just makes the girls look weak and da 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 And I was like, whoa, didn't we didn't do it. Yeah. We didn't do it. It's not, it's not a WTA initiative. This is ESPN and USCA. Um, you know, basically they didn't go through the tours to get approval for this, nor did they go to, through the tours in order to get approval from the players. They were going literally directly to the players, yeah. and um, even after, which is aggressive. And even after ATP said no, mm. Uh, they still were. They still. Really? Um, ESPN still went up to Steve Johnson. Yes, that's right. And said, that. "Hey, do you want to do this thing?" And he was like, "I guess so." And then he mentioned to somebody else at ATP, they're like, well, "You can't do it. no." We yeah. said no. Like, stop this. And so Coco's wound up being the only one of the whole tournament. Um, well, we're not. We'll see it again. Who knows? They're going to keep pushing the envelope with these sort of things. And overall, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I mean, like coaches in sports do it all the time I'm totally agnostic with I, it, yeah, right? it, because of the, it's the player's choice the I player think, doesn't want to do it they don't have to do it I imagine very few players wanting to do yeah. it but so if they want to keep asking I don't see a problem like Coco I could also see though players who have sponsors 
and the sponsors be like, what? We get three minutes of airtime with our patches on your cap and you're like, you know, we would encourage you to do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there are Serena, other... how'd you win the first set? I won the first set because I gator. Exactly. Like whatever it is, yeah. you know, and so long as like the questions are kind of stock questions, you're not asking for like, you know, and I thought Pam Shriver handled it well. I thought Coco handled it well. Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of the actual content of it, but, um, but yeah, going around the tours didn't exactly, I mean, especially at the ATP, I think they were much more vocal about how unhappy they were about it. And, you know, Roger Federer was saying that he was very unhappy that it went around the ATP and, and, and people were asking me, why does it matter? And I was like, because it's a heck of a lot easier for Roger Federer to say no to an ATP communications person or Serena to say no to a WTA communications person than if ESPN comes up to you and asks, yeah. Like in that situation, the player does feel a little bit more cornered that they, they're an asshole if they say no. Yeah. Whereas if it's you're dealing with your own tour, they can be a little bit, you know, uh, more direct. Yeah, you know, for sure. Work through agents and things like that. So, yeah. One cool thing that happened at the end of the tournament was that the first time in US Open history, there was a lady in the chair for the men and... Also, there had been a lady in the chair for the women's final, too. It was first time in Grand first Slam. First time in Grand Slam history, history. Um, that there have been both singles finals umpired by women, uh, and the first time in U.S. Open history the men's had been umpired by a woman, which just seems surprising that it took that long. <laughs> I was really surprised by that stat when I saw it come through. Maria Chichek getting the women's nod, and Ava Azdraki more getting the men's nod, and both ladies, as expected, were great. If you watch the WTA... <laughs> and you watch it regularly, we all know that, you know, these two ladies bring it week in and week out. Maria Chichek is the best. Maria Chichek is, in my opinion, the best. Um, in the game, yes. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, uh, but uh, but Ava Azdaraki more, I mean, she's had, you know, she's had a long tenure. I think she's probably more senior than Maria Chichek, which is probably why she gets the nod for the men's final. Actually, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking that they had probably decided this a few days out. And I'm guessing they didn't want to put Ava back into a US Open final with Serena, potentially. Possibly. And so that's why they gave her the men. Possibly. That was my thought. Yeah. But anyway. Um, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's, that logic would be, I would see how that would work. Uh, but what was so cool about it is, well, it's cool and not cool, right? Because to me, a good umpire and the best umpire should be invisible. No. Subtweet. They shouldn't be part. They shouldn't be part of the action. There shouldn't be. They shouldn't be startling. They you. shouldn't be startling. Subtweet you. again. They they shouldn't be inserting themselves. It's not about you. It ain't your show, bro. Like or lady. Like whatever. Um. So, uh, ideally, you have a situation like a Chitchak in the final where Maria Chitchak umpired it. You'll never remember that she umpired it, and that's a that's a, that's a good day I think for an umpire. They always love that, right? Like just in pure invisibility. Now, obviously, with Ava Azdaraki more, like, that was more of a historical occasion. That's a USA press release about it. Yeah, there was a press release about it. I'm sure there was on-site interest about it as well um, from reporters. So we all were watching. and, And obviously, you are kind of watching being like, girl... I hope you really bring it today. Like, you know, like this is, you know, this is always going to be that situation where if you're dealing with like women or you're dealing with minorities, you know that you have to be better. Yeah. That, that, that mistakes that a Jake Garner or a Cater Nooney or a a Mohamed Leoni or Carlos Cedric Morier, Carlos Bernardes, they get away with mistakes. If she makes a single mistake, you know, yesterday, it's, it's problematic. People will think it ruined it for women forever. Exactly. You know, like we're never going to do this again. And she absolutely slayed. Crush slayed. Crush slayed. Crush slayed, dragged, whatever it was. Ava Azdaraki Moore looked, just was perfect. And I think Several correct overrules. Several. several. Like at least four. 
um, a number of challenges where she didn't make an overrule and like Federer Novak challenge. And she was right to not make the overrule because the line umpire was correct. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, she just absolutely brought it and it was, it made me so, so happy. It was one of those like, you know, Rosie the Riveter moments. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was pretty cool. And Ava, Ava's cool. Yeah. We, she's we so nice. Know, yeah. We know some of the chair umpires from being around tour because they're obviously part of this traveling circus and she's nice lady. Very cool for her to get it. And afterwards, yeah, like you said, there were people who asked for interviews with her. I know SPNW wanted to do a thing on her and... I I said just because I thought we'd do a little sidebar on this sure. history making thing and just like a little sidebox whatever and she was like no I don't uh, chair empires by rule usually aren't allowed to talk but this time they gave her the opportunity if she wanted to and she was like no I'm good yeah yeah I don't need to see and that's how it's done that's yeah. how it's done like you know like why it, it, because it, she we should just never notice. It does. It shouldn't yeah. ever really matter who's in the chair, yeah. unless it's a bad umpire. And then you're like, well, this is going to be an absolute cluster. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, and uh, and so that becomes, you know. Uh, but anyways, they. I thought that that was really cool, and I just thought that, um, you know, so much of the U.S. Open was kind of geared towards the celebration of women because obviously we, there was an expectation that Serena would be there at the end. So you know, in terms of like you know, Ciara coming to sing. I think Vanessa Williams was supposed to sing for the the final but then it was aloe black um but yeah there were like little decisions it seemed like that were being made with this idea of like let's celebrate you know women in sport because it's been an amazing summer for women in sport especially in the united states so uh anyways i think you're absolutely right it's a shock that it took that long yeah uh but um the both doing both finals thing i understand they want to do guy girl on that whatever but yeah no woman ever doing men's final that was stunning yeah. And I guess maybe part of it also is that since Lynn Welch retired, I'm surprised Lynn Welch never got one, but we haven't had a really top American chair empire on the female side. Mm. And Jake Garner got a lot of men's finals. And that's home cooking for, I mean, like Allison Hugh, Lang Hughes gets like all the Wimbledon finals pretty right. much. Generally. Carolyn Kramer used to do all of all the Australian the, yeah, Open so, ones. And Sandra Jenkin, Maurier, Nooney do the French. I mean, so yeah, they just do a lot of... They <laughs> do a lot of, uh, of giving to their hey, own. Hey, there's fine. home cooking in tennis. Yeah. This is what happens when you're a Grand Slam nation. You get yeah. to call the shots and that happens. But in this situation, the USTA, I thought, made a, a, a couple of very nice calls there. There you go. Thank you very much for listening to this US Open issue of No Challenges Remaining. Issue? Issue? Edition? <laughs> An episode? audible issue? I guess I so. I like that, actually. I wonder. I always wonder if like, people like, no, I don't wonder. I've never wondered this before, <laughs> but I'm going to pretend I have for <laughs> sake of, of this String. When people ever like transcribe us and read us back, and are like, "Huh." This I assure terrible. you that I don't wonder about that because that has never happened. No, I'm sure it doesn't happen. <laughs> but anyway, thank you guys for listening to No Challenges Remaining. As always, if you want to follow us when you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Facebook, liking us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash/ncrpodcast. You can follow us on Twitter, ncr underscore tennis. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your RSS podcast app whatever thing is and get new episodes delivered automatically through there and you can also send us emails questions for future episodes we're going to do question shows i'm guessing a bit in the fall because it's a slower time of year u.s open questions will do you know break this down more serena whatever it's not going to go away we need time guys we, we need, need time we just need time <laughs> so yeah send us those no challenges remaining at gmail.com and yeah courtney rant rave take this thing home what sure. you got? What are you feeling? My rave, BCD Tofu House in Koreatown 
at 32nd Second. between 5th and 6th, right? Closer to 5th. Closer to 5th and 6th. Um, 24 hours, 24 hours Sundabu, and it's actually really good Sundabu, and it totally got me through this entire tournament because I would just hop in a cab and go down there like when I would get back. Um, and How many times did you do it? I probably went like six times. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It made me happy. It was like such good comfort food. And um, and I was staying like at like the kind of top of Midtown near Central Park. So there wasn't a ton of like food that was around here that was that seemed exciting to me. So I would just go down to K-Town. Um, but thank you, BCD Tofu House. Your kimchi tofu is impeccable. Uh, your service is wonderful. Uh, you're slightly overpriced, but you're open 24 hours a day. So I accept that. And I'm thank you so much for existing. There you go. I will also talk about late night comfort food. Um, I, my place is my place. I stayed this year is near an insomnia cookies. Oh no, insomnia cookies again. But what was I found? And it was good because I would go back. I would get like two or three cookies, maybe four. Because if you got four, they put them in a box. And if you got three, they just put them in a pouch. They got all smushed together. <laughs> so it was really an architectural decision to get the fourth <laughs> cookie, usually. Um, but my so that was good. It was like you know nice. Maybe you should bring one up to my person I was staying with and, you know, have one for breakfast maybe if I didn't eat it then. Uh, but the thing that my rant about this is that insomnia cookies closes at 3 a.m., which for me is a really loose definition of insomnia. I agree. As an insomniac, I agree. <laughs> yes. As someone who is very nocturnal, I had a couple nights where I missed, where it closed, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I need cookies. But I'm awake, and I'm an insomniac, and you're called insomniac cookies. Yeah. And I thought their hours closed... When it, I saw the hours listed, there's like 11 to 3. And I assumed it meant 11, I don't know why I thought this meant 11 p.m. to 3 a.m., just like just insomnia time. But no, it was like 11 a.m. to 3 a.m. And that seemed just like evening cookies happen to be open a little late. Fair. No, I want cookies till 6 a.m. If it's insomnia, I think that's a fair cutoff. And then at 6 a.m., start serving breakfast. Yeah, I agree. So insomnia cookies, you can do better. But thank you for being you. And it's <laughs> <laughs> a very fat kid rant, but we'll leave it at that. See you guys uh, sometime soon. Yeah. Bye. Bye. You might win some, but you just lost one. You might win some, but you.